Father, we thank you tonight for your word, God. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation, the understanding, the burden of eternity. God, I thank you tonight that I am a dying man speaking to dying men and women. God, I thank you tonight, Lord, that though you love us, Father, you have a plan for us, and it is not for this life, it is for eternity. God, I ask you tonight that the hearts of men and women would be pricked to be convicted towards the thought of eternity. God, I ask that their minds would be an understanding of eternity. Not this life, but the life that is to come that is forever. God, I ask you tonight, Lord, that you would anoint me to teach, preach, and even uh, indulge in these questions, God, that will bring the minds to be renewed, their hearts to be convicted, and and their love to be just exploding, Jesus, towards you. Not leaving here in fear, but leaving here in love. Father, I ask tonight, Lord, that you will cause their ears to be open to hear what the Word of God says. God, no preconceived ideas, no preconceived mindsets, but yet that our minds would be renewed by the Word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said, amen and amen. You may be seated all over the house answering the 10 most frequently asked questions about heaven. If you haven't caught part one of this series, you can go back and catch it on replay on our website. You can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it on our Facebook Um, Facebook page, the number one question, y'all ready for this, that is frequently asked about heaven. Y'all ain't even going to believe it. The number one frequently asked question about heaven is, will my pets be in heaven? Let me help you right now and tell you, some of you, yes. The others, maybe that you have, they will go to hell because that's where they belong. So, uh, now let me clarify. Dogs will go to heaven. Cats will go to hell. <laughs> so, will pets be in heaven? All jokes aside, the Bible is clear. The lion and the lamb will lay together. Here's another thought-provoking question. If Jesus is coming back on a horse, where is the horse coming from? Will there be animals in heaven? Yes, there will absolutely be animals in heaven. Whether you have a dog or a cat, I can't tell you if it will be there. It depends on if it's safe. Jamie and I had a dog one time that we knew was demon-possessed. He was so demon-possessed, he tried to eat our marriage license and um, ripped apart. He would flip his cage over and get out, and we literally said he was demon-possessed. And poor Scoot later died and probably went to hell. So, um, (laughs) all right. So that's kind of the icebreaker question as we get into a more serious topic, but I do want to indulge in this. Revelation chapter 6, going to really answer some really hard questions tonight. That really is the number one frequently asked question, though, as crazy as it is. People want to know if their dog's going to be there. My question is, are you going to be there? Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Or in one translation says, those that had been martyred. And and I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out with a loud voice. Somebody say loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. The next proposed question in heaven or regarding heaven is will we have bodies in heaven? 
Simple question. How do you answer these questions? I'll tell you how. Usually you ask another question. If we're not going to have bodies, why would he give us robes? So will you have bodies in heaven? Yes, we will have bodies, but I want to teach a little bit about the bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, catch this, in verse 45 says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Hold on right there, go back. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The two Adams, the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam was Adam that you find in Genesis, uh, in, in the creation, in the mankind, in Adam and Eve. And, and, and then the second man, Adam, is a man that you will now know as Christ Jesus. He was the second Adam. He was the final, final Adam. He came to restore everything the first Adam destroyed. And what sin brought, he came to bring righteousness. One Adam brought the fall. Another Adam brought the restoration and the reclamation and the revival that we are now living in. But get this. He was a life-giving spirit. Go on to the next verse. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Catch that. The first man was of dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those of heaven. Verse 49 wraps it all together. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. It is a pattern. He said the first man, Adam, came in a flesh. The first man, Adam, came in a dust. But the second man, Adam, came as a life-giving spirit. Catch this. You have two births. The first birth is the birth of your flesh. Your mama gave birth to you. And guess what? When you came, you came through blood and you came through water that was in her womb. Even the natural birth is a symbolism of the spiritual birth. Catch this. When the second man, Adam, came, guess what he said? You've got to die and be born again. Nicodemus said, what do I have to do? Do I have to crawl back in my mother's womb? For surely what you're speaking of sounds crazy. But the Bible says that no man comes to the Father unless he comes through Christ. And when we come to Jesus, we are born again. We literally leave the body of being birthed through dust, and now we're born of spirit. Catch this. When you're baptized, what, guess what that is? Water. But how are you washed? By the blood of the lamb. Water and blood. Come, my God, that's good teaching. When you come through the womb the second time, there is water and there is blood again. It's the water of baptism. The water breaks, baby, and it's new life being raised to life. You're coming out of the womb. And the blood is applied to you, and it's the blood of Christ that washes you and redeems you. Our first body was made of dust, but our first body was made of dust so that our second body could be made of spirit. At the resurrection of the saints, you'll read in Scripture, I'll teach on this again uh, uh, another time, but it talks about the dead in Christ shall rise first. I want you to know that at the resurrection of the saints is when our spirit body will meet with our earthly body and the two will be joined together and become glorified. And the Bible goes on to say that as he is, we shall be like him. Uh, Jesus on the island of Patmos, when he stood behind uh, John and he began to speak in the voice of many waters and eyes of flaming fire, feet of bronze, hair as white as wool, it was his glorified state and being. And the Bible is clear that in the scriptures that we shall be like him. But catch this. Our spirit body is exemplified in the resurrection 
of Christ. Watch this. Jesus goes, dies on the cross, is put in, he's put in the, in the tomb where for three days he's laid and then he comes out carrying the keys of the kingdom, death, hell, and the grave. He has made a spectacle, an open shame of the principalities and powers of darkness. He has paraded them in front of, uh, of, all, of all of the of creation to declare he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords. At this state, though, he is still seen walking the earth for 40 days. Until his ascension, he is walking, he is seen. The Bible says he's walking around. He is, he is showing himself. He is literally walking through doors. Not only is he walking through doors, he still has scars in his hands. What did he say at Thomas? He looked at Thomas, and Thomas said, unless I see, unless I touch, I don't believe. Jesus said, here, see and touch. What am I telling you? That we will have spiritual bodies. Now catch this. When you die, your spiritual body goes to be with the Lord. I don't want to go too far ahead on that because I'm going to teach in that, in that in a minute. But your earthly body is laid to rest. And that earthly body is nothing but a vessel that will await at the sound of the last trumpet, the, the, the trumpet of the coming of the King, Yahshua, Jesus, when he, when he comes out into the clouds to gather his church. I'm not going to get into pre, mid, or post-tribulation rapture because I don't want half of you to leave dominion right now. We'll talk about that another day when I can teach you on it. But point in case is, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those that, that haven't will rise to meet him in the air. Okay, now catch this, though. The body is a spirit. The spirit goes to be with Christ, awaiting for the second Adam, the second body, the, the, or the, what was the first, which now becomes the second, to join with it, that you'll literally have a body in heaven. The next thing that I need to answer is the third most popular question is, Will we go to heaven immediately? Everyone wants to know. So when we die, do we, do we go to heaven immediately? Or do we just lay around in, in, in the ground and what they call a, a state of sleep? That's a common teaching amongst the world today that when you die, you don't go to heaven. You don't go to hell. You go to sleep. And there you just wait in the ground and until everybody dies and everything happens, and then, then, yes, then you'll go to be with the Lord. The Bible actually teaches completely contrary to the idea of a state of your soul just sleeping. This is not true. Uh, please note that the martyrs that we just quoted or that we just read about in Revelation chapter 6, you do understand that they are dead and in heaven. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. And it says, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, uh, under, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. You do understand these men are souls. They're, they're spiritual beings that are in heaven. But guess what? They're not in a state of sleep. They're in heaven. They're so much in heaven that they are talking to God. Don't believe this, this, this theology that you, oh, you just die and you just wait and you go to sleep. And this purgatory crap... 
I'm going to say it again. This purgatory crap that, that you just die and you go to a state and, and, you're, and, you're, and your family here now can pay money to certain charities and they can pray for you while you're in a place called purgatory and they can get you out of purgatory, which is a state between heaven and hell. The Catholic Church teaches it. It is a great lie from hell. Let me tell you, there ain't but one way to heaven. Your, your gifts, your actions, your, 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 the, the prayers of your family, it is appointed for every man to live and die and then the judgment. There is no in-between. You got one shot at this life to make it work. You don't get to die and hope that mama pays enough money to the Red Cross for you to get to heaven. There's only one Red Cross, and it's the bloodshed cross of Jesus. And when you put your faith and trust in it, guess what? Heaven will be your home. Please note that the martyrs have died. They're in heaven. But guess what? This is not after the rapture of the church because the rapture of the church actually does not happen until Revelation chapter 19. Go home and read your Bibles. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me. Woo. <laughs> he didn't say you're going to have to go to sleep. You're going to have to wait. He said today you'll be with me in paradise. And when that thief closed his eyes on one side, he opened them up on the other. And I, I want you to know that that thief who never got off and read a Bible, who never got off and went and even got baptized, who never got off and preached a sermon, who never got off the cross to go and do a good deed, he put his faith and trust in Jesus alone. And Jesus said, you're saved by faith alone, not by works. Least any man should boast. You can't do nothing for me to save you. All the thief did was say, Lord, Lord. When they recognized him as Lord, Jesus said, for surely today you will be with me in paradise. The Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, I'm not going to go there, but those of you that are taking notes, you can go and read that scripture that says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Guess what? There is no state of sleep for your soul. You take one breath on this side of eternity, your last, and you open your eyes up on the other side of eternity. The fourth most commonly asked question is, will we be able to communicate? Revelation chapter 6, again, it is clear that the martyrs talked with God. Will you talk? Absolutely you'll talk. Why? Because God himself identifies himself as what? A voice he has given all of us a voice. It's amazing that when the church gathers, the most common thing, the most common identifier of any church is something called sound. And it's either through worship and, and music or it's through the preaching and proclamation of his word. I want you to know it's all surrounded around voice. So will you be able to communicate in heaven? Absolutely. Another point to be noted is that they talked with a loud voice. What am I telling you? Heaven is not going to sound like some of the churches that some of y'all grew up in. God is not old, and we're, we're we, you gotta be quiet. God's real old, you may wake him up. No. Heaven will be very, very filled with volume. You can read countless places in Scripture where the elders are bowing down and they're crying, holy, holy, holy. You can read the scriptures that talks about where, where, where they're singing and rejoicing, where there are the song of the redeemed being declared all through heaven. Heaven will be anything but quiet. Five, will we have emotions? The Bible is clear. 
that the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 are very concerned on what's going on in the earth. They said they called out with a loud voice. Will we have emotions? Absolutely we will. Why? Because heaven is going to be filled with joy. But not earthly joy, a joy you've never experienced before. A joy that is full of glory. What is glory? Kabod. It is going to be full of the weighty presence of God. You're going to be in his presence so much. For those of you that love Jesus, all you've ever wanted to do was just really just get into his presence. You can't wait to get into his presence. The Bible is clear that, it, that heaven's going to be full of joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, you can't even talk about it here. You, you, you don't have words that adequately express what he's going to do when that which is in part comes to the full knowledge, when that which we see through the glass dimly we see clearly it is going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory the sixth most asked question is will we know everything will we know everything there's two very misquoted scriptures regarding this the first one's first corinthians 13 12 says for now we see only a reflection as in the mirror and then we shall see face to face now i know in part and then i shall no, fully, even as I am fully known. What people take this scripture and translate it to do is saying that they're going to know everything that God knows. Let me tell you something. You're not omniscient. You don't know everything. You'll never know everything. Catch this. This is, this is something I fully believe. I believe one of the glories of heaven is going to be that we are going to spend eternity discovering this God who has made us. We're going to be discovering his kingdom that he has created. We're going to be discovering the galaxies that our telescopes couldn't reach. I believe that we're going to move at the, at, at the speed of thought that we'll be, be able to think and literally we'll be there. We'll be able to see galaxies that telescopes here could have never created. I believe in a moment we'll be able to travel and discover this God and we'll do that for eternity the next misquoted scripture is first John 3 and 2 it says dear friends now we are children of God and what we will what we will be has not yet been made known but we do know that when Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is this is not talking about Christ's ability. Now catch this. This is talking about Christ's identity. We shall be like him as he is, not his ability. What am I saying? Christ is the only one that's worthy of worship. If we became like him, then we'd be worthy of worship. Ah. So how do I know that I won't know everything? Because there's going to be one common revelation when you're in heaven, and it's going to be the one who is worthy of all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. It's going to be a revelation of who was and is and is to come. It's going to be a revelation of the Alpha and the Omega. It's going to be a revelation that he who was is right now in front of you. One of the most incredible glories is heaven is there is going to be an eternity. There is going to be forever for us to get to know who God is. All the questions you've had, guess what? You'll have forever to ask them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it'll take. You'll have eternity to discover the glory, the, pres the, the, the presence, the, 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 just, the, the 
forever unending love of God. It'll be there in eternity that you will spend eternity discovering the goodness of God. A big one, number seven, is will we know what's happening on earth? Revelation 6 says, now catch this. When will you avenge our blood? Evidently, they knew that those who had taken their blood had not yet been avenged. Mm. In short, they say, what are those guys still doing walking around? How long are you going to, God, how long are you going to allow those people that murdered us to continue to walk around? What, what am I saying? That they were very well aware of what was happening in the earth. We will know what's going on the earth, but catch this, only from a heavenly perspective. Jamie and I have had this conversation that, that, you know, people say all the time, they're like, oh, my loved one's, you know, watching over me. No. And I have a difficulty believing that they're watching over you. And I understand that probably rocks the apple cart a little bit. But catch me, they're not your, 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 your uh, guardian, guardian angel as what you've probably thought your whole life. But I am very well aware of the fact that they are able to see you from a heavenly perspective. I'm going to get there in in just a minute and tell you why they're watching you, why they're looking at your life. But this is what I also know. They can only view you from a heavenly perspective because if they saw every bit of your pain and every bit of your sorrow, it would cause tears. And the Bible is clear that there is no pain and there is no sorrow in heaven. So the only way they see you is from a place called victory. Watch, 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 watch. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, therefore, catch this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, great cloud of, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let me tell you something. You do have family and you do have friends that have died that have went on to be with the Lord, but guess what they are doing? They are your biggest cheerleaders. They are rooting for you to run the race called faith. They're saying, yes, Beth, get saved. Yes, Kyle, preach the word. Preach the word. Let sinners come to know Jesus. They're rooting for you. They're cheering for you. They're like witnesses that are watching your life and they're standing. Hebrews 12 says, like a cloud of witnesses, those that have gone on before us and they're saying, run, 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 run. You've only got one lap left. You better run, run, run. He's coming soon. You better run. Some of your family and friends are watching. And they're like, thank God he finally got saved. The truth of it is, is they are watching from a heavenly perspective. The martyrs are very, very clear in Revelation chapter 6. They are very clear in saying that they know what is happening in the earth because they are watching those that have avenged their blood still walk around. Hebrews 12 says that there is a cloud of witnesses that is watching and they're, they're watching us run this race. Both scriptures are clear though. It's from a heavenly perspective. They're not watching you to be your little guardian angel. They're not making sure that, you know, the parking brake gets put on your car when you forget to do it. Some of y'all have watched the movie Angel from the 80s too many times. TV show, whatever. Point in case is, some of your friends and family 
that have went on beforehand are watching and rooting for you. Number eight, will we remember our lives on earth? Revelation 6 is clear that those that were murdered remembered those who avenged their blood. Boy, y'all real quiet tonight. You didn't know we were going to teach all this, huh? Revelation chapter 6 is very clear that they were able to remember that they were murdered. They remembered that they were murdered. They didn't get there and, and look at each other and say, well, how'd you get here? Well, I don't know. How'd you get here? No, they remembered that they were, that they were murdered. How can, how can I justify that? How can I speak that? How can I teach that? Because they looked at God with a loud voice and said, how long will you allow those that took our blood to continue to walk around? In heaven, our memories, I believe, will make us grateful. Why would God allow us to remember our life? I'll tell you why. I believe he'd want us to remember our life. Because it'll be there how we will be grateful for eternity. It'll be there when we see him and we remember everything he did. We remember the faithfulness of God, the provision of God, the promises of God. When we remember the way that he kept us, when we remember his grace that saved us, when we remember his love that pursued us, even when we didn't want anything to do with him. I believe that our memories in heaven will make us eternally grateful. But let me tell you something. I believe our memories in hell will make us eternally regretful. I believe it'll be in hell that we'll remember the sermons that were preached. I believe it's in hell that we'll remember the time we were sitting in church and the Holy Spirit was dealing with us and we clung to the back of the pew and we didn't get up. And we, if we knew that if we would have it, it been in that moment that God was going to deal with us, it could have been in that moment that God was going to save us. I believe it'll be our memories in hell that we'll be forever and ever and ever tormented with when we look at the grace of God that was pursuing us, but yet we continue to desire the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Number nine, will we know people? When you get to heaven, will you know people? 1 Corinthians 13, a scripture I quoted earlier, not going to go back there, says clearly, we will know as we are known. What am I saying? In heaven, I believe for the first time ever, you will really know people. Let's be honest. You really don't know one another. You really don't. Especially in church, you really don't know one another. Because church people, nine times out of ten, are the fakest people and put on the greatest fronts. They'll make you think they got it all together. They'll make it look like, oh, especially with fake book nowadays. You look at fake book, they got their filters on, they all cheese in, act like their marriage is perfect. They get off the phone, taking the picture, and they're cussing one another out. You don't know people, but I believe in heaven you will be fully known and you will be able to know people. You're going to know them at a level that you never thought that you would know people. Guess what, husbands? You're finally going to know who your wife is. Hallelujah. Who is this woman I married? You're going to really know her. Wives, when you get there, y'all ain't going to be married anymore. Glory to God. And you're going to be like, Thank you, Jesus, for delivering me from that man over there. <laughs> oh. 
in heaven. In Matthew 8 and 11, Jesus teaches a profound concept that I believe is so incredible. In Matthew 8, chapter 11, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You do understand that if you'll run this race and if you'll keep Jesus first in your life, there'll come a day that you'll sit down at a table and across from that table will be men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going you're gonna to be able to walk up to Rahab and be like, what was it like the night that the spies came in in the house? What, what, was, what was happening when, when, when they shouted and the walls came down? You're going to hear stories from David. You're literally going to walk up to him. And you're going to ask him, hey, man, why would you grab five smooth stones? You're going to ask him, you know, how heavy was the head of Goliath when you were holding it? You're going to be able to ask Peter, Peter, what was it really like when you walked on water? You're going to be able to ask Paul, Paul, I, I know that Jesus delivered you. I know what it was like that he saved you. But, but tell me again about that experience, how, how you were riding down the road to Damascus and a bright light shone and you were thrown from your horse and for three days you were blind and, a, and, a, and an apostle came and laid hands on you. You received your height, your, your, your sight and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're going to be able to go on to, to Timothy and you're going to be able to speak to, to John and you're going to ask him about what that island of exile was really like. Not only are you going to know people, but they're going to know you. And I believe that there's old fathers of faith that are going to look at some of you and they're going to ask you questions like, how did you make it when everybody turned their back and walked away from you? Tell me about that time when your marriage was in shambles, but Jesus restored it. I want to hear about that. And I believe as much as we want to get there and we want to hear the stories and we want to have the dinner talks with these, with these great fathers of faith and these mighty women of God, I believe they're going to look at you, the redeemed also, and they're going to ask you, tell me your story. And they're going to want to hear it from you. The tenth question that I feel like I expounded on Sunday, so I'll touch briefly on tonight, is simply, will heaven be boring? Satan is the one that has put the theme out there that heaven will be the most boring church service you've ever been at in your life. I've literally heard people say that they don't want to go to heaven because their friends won't be there. Let me tell you something. If you're somebody that's thought that way, be here Sunday. Please be here Sunday. Please be here Sunday. Because there's an, there's a, an idiotic thought that, that hell is some big party. Let me tell you something. Everything heaven is, hell is the extreme opposite. I don't want to get into my message too much, but let me tell you something. In heaven, there'll be feasts, there'll be laughter, there'll be joy, there'll be, there'll be dinner table talks, there'll be all this stuff, there'll be communication, there'll be family, we'll have bodies, we'll walk, we'll talk, we'll take eternity to discover the glory, the goodness, and the, in the presence of Jesus. We'll see him face to face. Do you know what hell is? Hell will be a place of exile. It'll be utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of, of the teeth. There'll be no communication. There'll be nobody to talk to you. You'll be there in utter silence for eternity you know what the worst part is the presence of God will not be there at all 
Heaven is losing the marketing battle, though. Because those of us that are going, we don't know enough about it to invite anybody to come. It's kind of like a great restaurant. Take a moment and hear this picture of the church. The church in heaven is a lot like somebody that's been to or wants somebody to go to a really great restaurant, right? They come up and they're like, hey, gee, man, I want you to go to me with this restaurant. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Man, the food is, is going to be incredible. I heard it's the best restaurant around. Best restaurant around. You're like, okay, cool. Where's that? I don't know. Well, well, what do they serve? Well, I, I don't know. Oh, what time do they open? Uh, I don't know that either. I'm telling you, though, man, you got to go. I, I'm just telling you. Just, you just got to trust me on this. It's, it's going to be really good. Okay, so how do we get there? Uh, I don't know. And the truth of it is the church can tell you a million ways how you go to hell, but we can't tell you the one way on how you get to heaven. We can give you a list of everything not to do, but we don't talk about everything that Christ empowers us to do in this life and the life to come. Will heaven be boring? Absolutely not. Because heaven will be the opposite of boredom. Because it will be the absence of evil. Stand with me all over this house. Will heaven be boring? Travel at the speed of thought throughout the universe. Being able to go see galaxies that our telescopes could never reach. Colors that the eyes have never seen. Sounds that the ears have never heard. Joy that we've never experienced. Will heaven be boring? Absolutely not. It will be the furthest place from boredom. And as I preach Sunday, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you again. The saddest part is the reason why many people believe heaven is going to be boring is because all they've ever experienced is a boring Jesus in boring church. And the church has done a terrible job of representing this king who is to come. We've not created enough excitement about who he is. We have not created enough praise to, to glorify his name and what he's done. We have sat on the greatest treasure of eternity in silence. We have not taken the time to educate ourselves on this place. We've taken fables and tales and, 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 and we've listened to people tell us what they thought heaven was going to be like. We haven't been like Bereans and searched the scriptures ourselves to know what this place that he went away to prepare for us is going to be like. We haven't even put enough word in us to get excited about the place he's prepared for us. We're terrible at marketing what he died to pay for. Heaven's not just going to be a place where you're with Jesus. Heaven is going to be life after life. It's eternity. And this is the thing. Some of you think that you're waiting for Jesus to come back before it happens. But what you need to realize is your eternity could start tonight. The Bible is clear it is appointed for every man to live and die and then the judgment. 
What is your life but a vapor? What is your life but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow? No man has promised tomorrow. I preach a message to you in a series about eternity. And the truth of it is there's people here tonight under the sound of my voice and you think that you got the rest of your life to make a decision about eternity. You don't have the rest of your life. You don't know. I sat on the porch of a family last night. That's having to bury a little girl that they had no idea they'd have to do because death came when it was her time and I told the family there's nothing more that you could have done there's nothing more that you could have done God had her time stamped from the end to the beginning he knew her last day before, before you ever knew her first day. And the truth of it is there are people that I'm speaking to tonight. You don't have the rest of your life to make up a decision about living for Jesus. The Bible is clear that today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you something. For those of you that have put your trust in Jesus, don't just put your trust in Jesus. Eliminate every bit of compromise. Get rid of the things in your life that you know are displeasing to God. Get rid of the relationships that are causing ripples in your relationship with Jesus. It is not worth it. These 70 years that you're given, maybe, fail in comparison to eternity. Am I trying to scare you into heaven? Absolutely not. But I do want you to be there. There'll be preachers that preach in pulpits and they won't go. There'll be prostitutes that stood on street corners within hours of their death and they'll be there. I'm confident of that. Because we never know what happens in those last final moments like the thief on the cross whose heart was in a place where he said, Lord, remember me. Today, today, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. Father, it's real. And we thank you that it's real. Your love, your presence, your pursuit of us, the place you've prepared for us, it's real. Because what we believe about eternity determines the way we live today. God, I'm thankful for a church that's keeping the end in mind. Thank you tonight, Lord, for men and women and children that are setting their sights on finishing. Running the race, not just to run, but running it to finish well Father I ask that we would be the end times church you've called us to be 
God raise us up to be end times messengers full of the Holy Ghost and fire not afraid of persecution not shunning adversity not walking away from trial but God knowing that he who has called us is faithful and true knowing that your name is the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Father, I thank you that a backbone is coming into this church, that they are rising up to become people, that witness of the power of your glory, that miracles come when we open our mouth, that demons are cast out, that the sick are healed. God, that we would walk in authority that you have given us. Father, that we are seated in heavenly places, even now, that we would walk forward to carry out a mandate that it would not be about our best life now, but that it would be about eternal life and seeing those that are far from God come to know you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you send such a harvest to this church that every hand in this barn has to work, that every mouth has to speak, that every ear has to hear. That has to hear. Father, that you would send such a harvest that you would send a mass of laborers to work it, Father. Father, raise up here, raise up now in end times, church. God, you started your church in Acts 2. But God, I'm asking, I'm asking that you begin to send the end times church at 1030 Pearl Street. Father, that here you begin to raise up people that have eternity on their mind, that see people that are lost and their burden for them, that sharing the gospel of the kingdom becomes common language in our mouth and God, it becomes an echo throughout this community that we talk about it, that we think about it, that everything we do, we do with the end game in mind. Father, I thank you for those that are allowing you to change the end. Thank you for those that are accepting Jesus, but believe God, it's only, it's only the purge. It's only the beginning. It's only the start. It's only the cracking of the door. But God, I believe there's a floodgate of a harvest, God, that's coming. And I pray, God, that we would be uncompromised, that we'd be sealed and settled in the Word of God, knowing it to be indeed the truth, the Word being a lamp unto our feet for our darkened path, that it would expose the darkness of sinners that would realize their need for a Savior. His name is Jesus. Help us, Lord, to lift that name high. 